welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and sidling up beside me at the fireside is Mim Fox. Hello Mim. Hello Liz. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a bit of a busy week this week. Do tell. It's just been crazy with work and so I've been trying a bit more to get to the gym, get some exercise in. Are you feeling impressed with me right now? So impressed. You are my hero of the moment. Thank you so much. I, um, I took a note out of some of my students' books, actually, because they're often talking about hitting the gym through, through placement. And I did actually think, come on, speak the speak, walk the talk, all of that. And I hit the gym and I'm feeling like I'm trying to get some balance back in my world. Excellent. In fact, I've noted a few of our people who have spoken to us on the podcast refer to physical fitness as being a really important part of their well-being practice, if you like, as social workers and the importance of that. So well done you. I'm impressed. Thank you so much. You're not going to hear me talking about meditation too much on this podcast, I have to say. Okay. No, each to their own. That's right. (laughs) Can we talk about today's podcast? Absolutely. So, Mim, today we have someone, a social worker, who has worked in the field of disability for 20 plus years. So I refer to these people as our masters. Oh, absolutely. And it's a little bit more than just being in the same job for 20 years. Here's someone who talks about reflecting on practice, being passionate about the work that they do, And he's made our job really easy, don't you reckon? Absolutely. So I think we give him a little bit more airtime because of that. And I'm inviting our listeners to come and sidle up beside us. Let's listen together, see if you can pick some of the themes that he refers to in his work. There are some, maybe we should mention NDIS, Mim, just at the outset so that people who aren't in Australia might not know what we're talking about. Yeah, so in the disability field, NDIS is um, referred to quite a lot and it's the National Disability Insurance Scheme that we have here in Australia. Uh, And uh, when he talks about, he does mention a number of different people or organisations coming in to work with a family and that's because with the NDIS the government has tendered out disability services to non-government organisations. And we're actually in a transition phase at the moment aren't we? That's exactly right it's not it's not been so long since it was introduced and so uh, a lot of families are still um, juggling uh, trying to come and a lot of families and services trying to come to terms with the reality of what this means for everybody so thanks for explaining that so how about we listen to it together and we'll come back beautiful so my background is is in early childhood education and then uh, completed my social work degree in 98 so I'd always had a very strong interest in uh, children and families uh, and then worked in the area of child protection for a a long time. I think like most people we uh, didn't have a lot of exposure to people with intellectual disability um, in in university Um, but quite by chance I I was told the position was available and came here by accident and I really, I really love the area. Um, I think some of the things that I'm, and I 
I can safely say I wake up every day thankful that, I, that I'm coming here. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to be in that position. So some of the things that I, that I enjoy in this role is that um, a week hasn't gone by where I haven't learnt a new thing. And it might be a new thing by working as part of a multidisciplinary team uh, where I work alongside uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, pediatricians, so learning there, learning about uh, the, the, the field, learning new things about families having to keep on top of new systems and the like. So as a learning area, that's continued unabated and still continues. Um, the other thing, and I think very strongly, and it's probably the most important driver for me, that disability is like the last bastion of of injustice, uh, as, as I see it, in, in social work. It's an area where the individuals themselves with intellectual disability um, have a lot of challenges in being able to advocate for themselves and understand their systems. When you're thinking about carers where the tasks that they have as parents um, throughout their lives as parents and carers are so focused on looking after their children that um, it's just such a thoroughly exhausting for them. And so to to be in a place where I can assist in being uh, an active voice for them, uh, I find very gratifying uh, that, that I'm, I'm able to, to do that. I think it's also been really challenging for me as a person where really over the years my values have been challenged a lot and where often when we're in health social work we're working in a, in a disease model of care where someone is affected by this condition and that's the nature of our relationship with them whereas I feel very strongly and particularly in areas such as not particularly with autism but not autism alone where really it's as much about shifting our perspective and that comes up in regular ways and the ways our values are challenged when and just reflecting now as we're talking, thinking about how a, a, a doctor some years ago very earnestly and honestly asked, how can we convey hope when there isn't any hope, where there is none? And thinking about that it would be easy to, to jump on them and that, but then thinking, well, actually, that's kind of a broader reflection about how we see disability. That, that there is hope and, that, and that's all we see. And I guess over the years and as I've reflected that, I, I do genuinely have hope, but maybe my hope is the same hope as a, as a parent myself and the same hope that I would think that we all have as parents that we would all want a child to find a place in the world um, that they are... Uh, respected for who they are and whatever interests or wherever they find meaning can find a place so that they can find meaning in their own way now when I when we dilute life to I, I think that's kind of quite a reasonable thing that we would all want out of our out of life 
and we would all want for our children when we bring it down to that very basic level we can all do that um, and maybe it's a bit more of a more of a challenge and so in actual fact I can honestly say that for all of our parents that hope remains the same that like any parent you I believe that we can find a way that you can have a relationship over a lifetime um, despite impairments in communication and trying to see how they see the world around them we can find a way that you can understand that and connect and find a, a way in the a way in the world and that truly I'm not being semantic here that disability is actually our problems they're not their problems disability are all the ways that I'm saying why you can't do that rather than finding the ways that will forget what I think you can and can't do what gives you meaning how do we find a way way in that at, at one end at the really positive end I can very um, honestly say that there is this um, one family that I'm constantly astounded at what a joy it is to be around this family and when you hear their experience you might think how can you say that so this is a family who's a, a single mum uh, she has two boys with autism um, and and intellectual disability severe to moderate intellectual disability they are they have significant communication impairments noise sensitivities um, and a range of other mental health conditions that impact on their ability to function and so some of those things are from uh, I think I mentioned seasonal affective disorder picker or a tendency to eat inanimate objects uh, an extreme sensitivity to noise and um, uh, other sensory inputs which is a real problem or issue for people with autism they don't perceive the world in the same way we could be in a room thinking well I can reasonably assume we're in the same room but for them they're perceiving things uh, in very intense ways uh, sound, smell, all of those sort of things so this is a, a relatively um, young mum she's got two teenage boys and also a young daughter so in, term, in terms of a, a standard not just standard social work but if we're looking at this family as a non-social worker from the outside from the community seeing this family that would seem how do I get out of bed every day and then when I throw into that that not only is this mum raising these children with um, without a, an, act, an, act of, an active father involved um, having to engage with school and, and services and not have a stable ha um, working in community housing how can I then make that statement and I think that when I look at this mum what I see is that you know when you're seeing when you're when you're with a child and you know you're genuinely enjoying being in their presence 
And I think what I always notice about that mum as I'm about to come in or even as they leave and I'm looking at the door as they go or I've seen them in other settings where they're not aware that they're being observed, I see them that mum take pleasure in being with them. Um, so, and these, these kids, these boys are hard work. When I say take pleasure, that she has found a way or a relationship with them to be able to, that they take pleasure in each other's company with, with um, we may see them as simple things, but for them they're, fun, they're quite fundamental things. And it's a, it's a really joyous, meaningful relationship. And to after all of this time, you know, you know, we're talking about teenagers here, to still be in that place is astounding. I am in awe of this mum. Over the years, and particularly with NDIS, you get new services come in. And so new relationships come and go, um, or you move and you go to new services. So the, the benefit that I've had with this family is to see the growth that this family have had. And, and it's truly bearing witness. I, I don't think that I can say that I've done anything to create this. This mum's amazing. This is a part of the quality that she's had and she's she had very hard times and has needed support in those times but as a part of the relationship she's been able to create but what I think what I've been able to do the, an important role that I've had is that when people come in without that benefit of history and hindsight and to t stop take stock and see objectively what is actually truly happening here it would be very easy to come in with assumptions that uh, single parent, three kids with a disability, living in community housing, coming in with a lot of assumptions about what they are or to, to, to see that. And, and I think in those senses, I certainly hope I've had a, a, a consistent role in, as I've been introduced to new players, to top, take stock and bring people's attention back to these key fundamental things that these are the really important things about life. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I've ever had as much, but I certainly hope that my awe and respect has been conveyed, <laughs> that she's felt respected as a, as a mum and as a parent and that that interaction's been non non-judgmental and that um, that important things had been done when they <laughs> when they needed to be done, and then I think because those important things are the important meaningful things as parents, whereas I think if we were talking about these families as um, as as bookends, and seeing where those families have not been able to meet the challenge in, in the same way and I would and so that I guess what has it been that has been very hard and, and I think disability speaks to that problem as well so that for example um, when we're thinking about other families our expectations of what children can, can or should be able to do that 
how children can and should conduct themselves in public and in the community or our expectations about how homes should or should not be or that sometimes disability can be conveyed as a failure of uh, a parental failure that those values are very I, I think implicit and then they're never stated explicitly but I think I, I wonder sometimes there's some implicit that when we have a child and we're concerned that something might not be quite right I need to do something that all of those maybe sometimes a lot of those pressures do they then come to bear at that point does that uh, does that is that part of what makes it so hard to contemplate the possibility that something might you know might not be might not be right and you, you there are at times that there's a real in the disability community a kind of a battle between um, and you'll hear it in different ways this intense battle to fix or cure whether it be fix or cure autism fix or cure a variety of conditions um, and not that I'm saying that is or is not I guess at the end at the end of the day every parent's journey is their own journey and I would respect whatever that that is um, but at the same time I would hope my my feeling or, or st- or statements to families are around my role as a social worker is your your child is two three four five whatever wherever we go whatever name we come up with to define the challenges your child has my job is to be with you and we need to find a place your your child has a place in the world whether we like it or not, at some point they'll grow, they'll be old enough to go to school. At some point, whether they're 14, 24, 34, 44, they will leave your home with a subset of all the things we've been able to teach them and they will go and live in the community. They may go and live in the community on their own, with some support, with a group of other people with a variety of disability. I'm not saying what it should be or shouldn't be, but one day they will leave and they will go there. Um, I, it's not for me to judge what it should be or how it should be, but that, that moment will come. And if we reach those moments of transition with, uh, with, with awareness, then I can foresee what you as a parent would want for your child. Um, the life that you imagine you want for your child even before they had a disability to to try and and, and go, go uh, towards that and I think that kind of touches on a bit about what a transition means as well so I guess for you and I we pull you know if we miss we miss the bus we pull options out of thin air Uber, I'll Uber it I'll get a taxi I'll do this I'll call I, I've got options at my beck and call. Um, a lot of the time for our families, if a bus doesn't turn up to go to school, oh, I just won't do stuff today. So 
from the very beginning, life is dependent on things happening the way they plan to happen. All disability systems tend to be very inflexible, inflexible because they're dependent on people knowing about you, what your needs are, etc. It also comes from the point of view like autism where they're very dependent and needing an understand routine. And when things happen out of routine, it's quite terrifying. And so people with disability are dependent on things being the same. And then, therefore, by extension, families rely on things being the same. It's not that they're inflexible. They're like that. I think, interestingly, in health, our clinicians are the same. We're very siloed. And whether you're a health clinician, this is how I, this is how I work and this is how I operate. When you come in here, this is my framework and this is how I work. So, in actual fact, disability carers and health is a whole collision of inflexibility so when we talk about change it's easy for me to say the word adapting to change but when I put it in that context change is a terrifying thing for everyone and people just don't deal well with that and yet change is is inevitable so finding ways to support people through change is is a, probably a bigger singular sort of thing in all, all of this. I love listening to people who are passionate about, well, anything really, but how lovely it is to listen to a social worker who's passionate about their work. I know it's gorgeous, isn't it? So this is one of these people who have mastered their craft, like the craftsman that we've, I think we've talked about it before, someone who's done this over and over again and someone that now is sharing some of their insights and wisdom, the practice wisdom that he brings was, was beautiful. But I also think, wouldn't that be amazing as... I guess the, the, the mother in the story that he shares with us, to have someone who has known them for quite some time, yeah, who's been a consistent presence in their life, who shows up, who um, brings his skill into a very complex world in which she's living and parenting in. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot, Mim. What about you? Oh, he actually felt like he almost in some ways became an extension of the family. I think he actually mentioned the phrase bearing witness mm. and um, and that I'm here to be with you. I think it was similar to those sorts of words. And I think that idea of just being that support with the family as they walk through their life with this child with a disability who's then going to keep growing and getting older, I think that's an amazing notion. Yeah. And, and, and 20 years living in a community of people with, quite unique challenges to people like myself who don't have children with a disability. 20 years he's lived and worked and breathed this practice. So he is the person that often other social workers and health workers will rely heavily on to interpret the world that those families are living in yeah, that's to real. help us to do out what we need to do with the families too. So he's also a consultant for us as well. That's really interesting, Liz, the way that you just phrased that, that 
he's interpreting the world mm. for other professionals, that he's almost a link for this community. I think um, it goes back to some of the some of the words he was using around disability being the last bastion of injustice and that actually this is a client group that need our advocacy that much more. And so he's not only working directly with the families, he's also working on behalf of the families with other professionals, including social workers, all the time. Because didn't he challenge us to think about us ourselves more as the problem? Yes. Um, the way in which we view the world um, as compared to the person with a disability or the family that that person lives in, that we might be part of that problem. That's exactly right. He said disabilities are our problem, not theirs. Yeah. And I love that idea. I do too. We have a commitment as a society to actually see this as a communal problem, Mm. that actually it's a collective solution that we need to come to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other um, theme that I really liked that he brought up was around hope, holding hope. What did you think about that? Like that, that whole idea of um, that the importance of actually sharing with that family um, the hope, the dreams for that child with a disability, the hope that any of us have as parents so to the parent of someone who has a disability and how he keeps that in his practice and keeps that... Keeps it alive, actually. Keeps it alive. Like, yeah. I think, actually, um, it's quite easy. I can understand completely that the parent will come to different points in their lives and feel like there's now no hope, right? I can completely see that, that they're looking at their child, they're thinking about the hopes that they once held and they're feeling like those are now dashed. But for professionals to no longer hold that hope, that broke my heart a little bit actually, right? Like that actually, I thought that's actually such important work that he's doing there in maintaining hope with these individuals but also for them in his work with other professionals. And the way he uses strength-based social work approach in his work so often social workers will talk about I use a strength-based approach in my social work here it is in practice the way he observed that mother parenting that's right that he took those very private moments between her and her child and built that as a source of strength and they were just in the observation too. I know. The way that he observed her without her knowing, the way that she celebrated something that the child was doing, like any parent would, but that he observed it and was then able to acknowledge it in a way that probably made her feel like, like, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I like to have someone say, you're doing a good job. You've got two boys with autism. I'm an expert in my field. I see lots and lots of families. And what I'd like to tell you is you are doing an amazing job. I learn from you and I hold you in awe. Hello. When has that mother ever heard that? I don't know. They won't have. That social worker is the only person who is standing there saying to her, I am in awe of you. Mm. That's incredible. Mm. Absolutely incredible. I, I just think that takes immense, um, it actually almost takes bravery for the social worker to stand by someone in that scenario and with them 
to that extent. I think it's fantastic. So it's the bearing witness linked with the strength-based right. approach. Yeah, That's right. It's not yeah. one or the other, is yeah. it? It's actually bearing witness to the entire story of this family and their coping and their resilience and then actually standing up for it as well and putting it into an expression mm. to the parent but also then to the greater community who are working with this family. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Did you want to pick up on any other themes? Liz, there was a phrase that the social worker used just towards the end there. Health is a collision of inflexibility. An author couldn't have written it any better than that. (laughs) That sentence just conjured up such imagery for me. We need a bumper sticker for that one. (laughs) We really do. I mean, firstly, the word collision. When they talk about implementing new policies or new services for people with disabilities, they talk about, they use beautiful phrases like continuity of care, supported service, right? All of these things that conjure up traffic driving in very ordered, wonderful ways. The traffic isn't experiencing road rage. There's no collision happening on the roads. But the reality that we know for families in this situation is the Bangkok traffic. Bangkok traffic. That's exactly, Mm. that is exactly what services feel like for people, families in this situation. Mm. Too many cooks spoiling the broth. Yeah. So I loved that collision was the word used. I also loved inflexibility. Because don't the policymakers always say that the aim of all these increased services, restructures, regimes, dare I say, is flexibility, right? Tailoring services to the individual. But we know from working with these services, working with the services and working with the families in crisis and in these situations, that actually it becomes so immensely inflexible. So I wanted to applaud the social worker for their use of evocative language. <laughs> the sentence of the week of the fortnight, don't I you I think reckon? so. Health mm. is a collision of inflexibility. I loved it. But I also really, truly loved the work that this master was doing in the field of intellectual disability. So I think it's time to wind up. Thank Sadly. you to that. I know. I know. I, I actually thought of... Uh, a show that we have in Australia, and I think it's actually all over the world. It's called MasterChef, right? Oh, yes. I think that's gone far and wide. Right? Yeah. yeah. So do you know those episodes in MasterChef where they invite in like the the two-hatted chef? Oh, yes, yes. That comes in and demonstrates how they would cook a particular dish and the contestants of the show kind of look in awe and go, oh, <laughs> oh yes. God, look at the way they're nice as we all do while watching the show <laughs> well I kind of feel like that with this particular social worker yeah I agree he's our master chef and I'm so glad that the podcast has been able to bring him in to um well, to shine the light on his work because anyone who's been working in the field for 22 years and still wakes up and feels joyful about going to work is a hero, amazing person. So thank you. I think also, Liz, um, that a lot of students get a bit disillusioned with the idea of working in disability. So they often come to the point where they need to think about what they want to do, their placements. And above and beyond, the area that students say they don't want to work in is disability. 
Really? Absolutely. Disability and then aged care. And I think hearing from a master like this in the field of intellectual disability is so important because the work is so rich and the area of injustice is so strong that actually I'm really pleased that we've been able to give a platform for this sort of work actually. Hey, so it'd be interesting to see if it has any impact on placement requests from some of your students. If oh, I'd love to that. Them. I'd love that, students, if you're listening. Before we wrap up, Liz, I wanted to just take a second to thank everyone who's taken time to leave us a rating and written a review on the Apple Podcasts app. It makes a massive difference for us in um, growing our podcast and spreading the work. Uh, and we're going even wider as a result of that which is fabulous. There was one user, uh, Fee79, if you're out there. We loved what you said. You said to us, thanks for creating one of the best tools that will help inform my practice into the future. The wisdom in the unpacking from the podcast hosts is also beneficial. That's us, Liz. One thing I did find listening is that it's warming to hear my people, that's in inverted commas, in the professional world talk about what we do helps to not feel alone in this helping profession thank you isn't that what we're trying to achieve that's it i love it our work here is done not quite no i just still wanted to say if anyone out there would like to help us out and help get our podcast out to as many people as we can really easy they just have to open the podcast app leave us a five-star rating we'll accept four and a half and um, review it right now take out your phone Get it, do it, get it, do it now. Literally takes a few seconds and we would so appreciate it. And you might even get a shout out just like Fee79 on a future episode of the podcast. Of course, we're also interested in people telling us if they've got a story to share, which would be great as well. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. People can follow us on Twitter. We're so technologically um, excellent, Liz. I wish I could share that. I'm, I'm learning. I said I really... we. Okay. I said we. No, yeah. So everyone out there in the big wide world can follow us on Twitter at Social Work Story or Instagram at Social Work Stories Pod. It's very hip of us. And they can share a link to our episodes in your own Facebook newsfeed um, and with your own Social Work tribe because that's what it's all about, right? We're creating tribe and community. So we are indeed. Yeah, yeah. So thanks everyone and um, we really look forward to listening with you along with you next episode see you bye for now <laughs>